Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who used to own the whole beach, whatever happened to private property. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and you know it's just disappearing, uh, yeah, the whole no, concept I mean, of private property. Yeah. And Pretty soon everything's going to be owned, you know, trail it's off. It's just, it's, if only, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah right now yeah like you did like, well it's the classic thing right is like that and not to get into a weird sort of meta discussion already at the top but like that's that thing where like there's a constant thing where people in privilege and power often describe my ideal utopia describing a bad thing yeah like yeah. fox news does it all the time You're like yeah you just described a utopia you just yeah. described a dream world that I wish would come into being. <laughs> oh, in private property. Oh, whatever shall we ever do without having to own shit? Oh my god. My goodness. You don't own the <laughs> I guess we'll all You die. don't own half don't the know. beach anymore. Yeah, it's, it's just, I don't know. It's it's just it was a wild. It was probably the for me the the one point where I I I don't usually dislike our our focus character Wow, I really was like, "What? What are you? What's going on here?" There's a there's a conversation that I'm sure we'll have over the next hour. Uh, that there are definitely pl- class politics at play here. That, oh yeah. uh, That we uh, we should talk about. Inst- we have to. We have to. And yeah. I I bet we didn't do very much of that in the first Grey Gardens. Episode. I don't think we actually did. No, because you and I were way more uncomfortable with that kind of stuff. When we that was then, very early yeah. on, and we hadn't and we really had, gotten our we hadn't turned into Marxism the podcast. We had our friend Ryan Bowling on that episode too, and a lot of the conversation centered around uh, just what what was Jerry exactly up to and the raccoons. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> and Jerry's raccoon kingdom. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Which was a delightful joke from Ryan uh, that uh, that I still think about today, even though we talked about. Grey Gardens, goodness, probably four years ago. Yeah, it was a long time. It may have been more. It was a long time ago. Oof. I mean, uh, it's probably not on the feed anymore, frankly, right? It's probably it very falling well off. If you want to listen to the Grey Gardens episode, you probably have to go back through the actual website archives. Uh, it was Spine 123, uh, which means it's actually it's still on the feed because we're up to, oh, we're they up to 300 the episodes yeah. on, the, on the feed now. Yeah. Um, but that means it was it was just around the end, or or rather the beginning of, uh, well, it was about halfway through, uh, year three of our doing this. Um, currently, probably, we're on year six, and currently we are we are moving into year six. Um, no, we've actually just finished. Uh, yeah, we're. Uh, I don't We're know, into math. year seven, I think. I, yeah, um, maybe that sounds. About so this right. is this is spine number three hundred and sixty, I think. Oh, Lord, what's wrong with us? Yeah, that'll be year seven because it's fifty episodes a year, basically. Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. Year seven, huh? Yeah. My, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, this when is we three... started, John was like one years old, for real. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, this is uh, this three sixty one, and that was one twenty three. So it's oh been uh, yeah, a good long time. Uh, oh. Oh. 
I need anyway. to go lay down. Can we can we do this tomorrow? <laughs> Just take a rest while we play the theme song, and and we'll come back at full strength. So, Pat, before we get into the podcast, I want to talk about our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there, uh, for just $1 a month, you get access to a bonus episode. Now, we yes, always do. do a non-criterion film over there. Uh, so we have a little wider range to choose from. And because of that, what I do is put together collection. a themed... The, <laughs> the Eclipse Collection. Sometimes, sometimes. Very, like, once, once it's been the Eclipse Collection, which is a little cheating, but it was a really great movie. God's was, Country. Yeah, yeah it was um, amazing. Yeah, but uh, but what we do over there is I put together a list of uh, of four films that usually fit a theme. Uh, some themes recently have been uh, well. This month's theme is actually uh, just July's theme was uh, films that uh, I wrote off because they were aimed at women when I was a teenager, and uh, in retrospect, that was a terrible idea because they're yeah. really good comedies. Well, I've uh, so never think... seen any of them, so I'm very excited about this. I am I am very excited to get you to yeah hopefully hopefully we'll end up watching one of them because Otherwise item number five watching. on the vote is always Kazam the 1996 children's movie starring Shaquille O'Neal as a genie uh, and it's terrible but they have made us watch it once and uh, and currently they've looking tried at the polls before too let's be clear here they've tried before we've been, too we've survived looking at the polls it may be. It may well may seem like some of our supporters would rather us watch Kazam than watch Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. So, um, uh, whatever. Um, but yeah, we've done uh, we've done lists that were based on uh, movies that conservapedia.com condemns as liberal propaganda, which is uh, every from movie. which we watch <laughs> from which we watch Ernest Goes to Camp. Uh, we've done movies that uh, really should be in the Criterion Collection. Uh, things like uh, one theme was uh, post-World War II U.S. films that actually uh, dealt with PTSD of the war instead of just all gung-ho hero stuff uh, because there's really not a lot of those. And we ended up watching uh, The Best Years of Our Lives from that, um, which is a really fantastic film. Uh, we've watched uh, Dog Day Afternoon and Failsafe, still to my, Sydney to Lumet this day, films. The best movie you've ever watched, maybe, yeah. uh, with the exception of God's Country. Boy, those two and are tied right now. Right. And we've also watched really, really, really terrible films like uh, Monster Squad or the Will Ferrell starring Kicking and Screaming. I will off a never, list. ever forgive you. Yeah. <laughs> that was off a list of films that share names with actual Criterion releases. And uh, it was it was not great. It was not a great was movie a, at really, all. I'm when it so, comes down to it, that was an unwise decision. I really, really actually very happy that they made us watch it. Uh, just to have the example in my mind of what the worst movie I've ever seen is. Well, so, I mean, really, yeah. When you think about it, you've learned a, we learned a lot from that. We learned about what yeah. the worst movie ever made was. Um, <laughs> we also learned that um, what a, a bad... Dis- where bad list decision making can lead us. Yes. Um like the idea was clever and fun. Like I get I totally I, I was all on board for why we did it. But in hindsight, 
Right. You know. And and to be fair to the people picking, kicking and streaming was the one that kicked off the idea for that too. You know, the fact that that such two such radically different movies. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Share such it an totally idiosyncratic name. It, yeah. Um yeah. Absolutely makes sense. It totally makes sense. And I and I like I said, I was totally on board when we planned out the idea. Just in hindsight, it's like, whoa, boy, we went down a dark path there. Right, right, right. Uh, but yeah, uh, all those bonus episodes are uh, are up there, and you get access to the entire back catalog. Plus, you get to vote on the new one uh, for just one dollar a month. But for a little above that, five dollars a month. We uh, we like to thank those people on air giving us five dollars a month. So thank you to Kevin Little and Adam Speakerman for your five dollars support. A little bit above that, a little extra. We do something a little extra. Uh, yeah, Pat do. makes a piece of art based off of one of the films we've watched recently, and I write a postcard. Uh, or I get that art printed up on a postcard and write a note on the back of the postcard because that's the side of the postcard you normally write on. And to our <laughs> no, not, to not our, all over the picture. You don't write no, all over the no, picture. No, not if I can avoid it. Uh, for our ten dollar and above supporters, we mail that off once a month, uh, and you know I I really enjoy doing it. And I think it's it's something very unique and very special. Uh, and we also like to thank those supporters on air. So thank you to Michael McGrath and to Jason Westhaver yeah, for your $10 and above much, supports. Yeah. Yeah. It means a lot to us. So this week, uh, as already stated, we are returning to Beale Gar- to the Beals of Grey Gardens. Uh, Grey Gardens we watched many, many years ago uh, with uh, spine number 123. Um, and... Uh, after uh, after David Mazels died, uh, Albert Mazels, uh, well, the Grey Gardens and the Beals themselves were having a bit of a renaissance in the nineties okay. and two thousands. Interesting. Uh, so, production on the two thousand nine fiction film called Grey Gardens, starring Drew Barrymore and uh, I can't remember who played. Did that Diddy. thing ever actually happen? Well, it was a it was an HBO film. Okay, because um, like I had never heard of that thing. Oh yeah, I remember that thing existed. Oh, I don't I remember, remember that thing at I remember all, as even for a little it. bit. Um, I particularly remember Drew Barrymore as uh, as a little Edie. Um, in fact, when I think of little Edie, I picture Drew Barrymore in that costume as opposed to actual Grey Gardens. Um, oh really. Yeah, I don't know why, because I've certainly never watched all of HBO's Great Gardens. I maybe caught a little bit on uh, on television while uh, working at the hotel or something, but never watched the whole thing. Anyway, uh, that came out in 2009, but production had already started. There was a Broadway musical version of Great Gardens. What? Uh, that existed uh, in, the, uh, in the early 2000s, maybe late 90s. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, the uh, the Beals themselves, obviously Big Edie, she died, I think, uh, in the early, shortly after the initial film came out. Um, but Little Edie died around the time that this came out. Um, and there's just a lot of, a lot of stuff around yeah around them uh honestly 
like being really honest about that, like the deeper we go into this, the more I just get more and more uncomfortable. Yeah. With everything that so like, yeah. the Broadway musical started off Broadway. Uh and its first production was uh was March 2006. So right around the same time that this film was was coming out. Uh it uh it was split into two parts. The first act was when they were younger and in their prime and little Edie was was in her prime, you know. Um and the second act was around the time set around the time that the uh the documentary was being shot. And it won at least two Tonys. Um okay. <laughs> Yeah. So so there was that. Um now, even more recently, Grey Gardens is such a weird touchstone. It's a, it's a cult movie, right? Uh, so you'll get you'll get weird cult references to it and, and weird right. references to it. So, like, uh, you know, the very first episode of Documentary Now was a Grey Gardens parody uh, called Sandy Passage. Um but it's always been it's always been a campy thing and uh, there was okay so like okay sorry I've got to jump in here because my problem is is that like that is both true and also definitely not true (laughs) and the reason I bring that up is because because the purpose and idea of campiness is to delight in things that are in and of themselves in my mind, in and of themselves, not good, like or not well done, or 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 have some element that makes them impossible to exist in the mainstream. I think you know what I mean, like uh, that's that's one epi- one definition of campy. I think in a in a popular way, but but camp camp as the uh, the art genre, uh, particularly coming out of drag culture in New York, camp is about putting on the airs to uh to satirize uh upper class sensibilities. Right. And again, also that's fine and I understand that as another version of it, but that's also not what this is. No. Because this no. is two real people. Now, right. mind you, they are definitely doing their performance. We've talked about this last time. We'll talk and about it. And they're doing that is, same they are putting on airs thing. Right. But the thing but, is, is they, I do not, we have talked about this before, they are also very clearly unaware of the way that right. which they are perceived. Their motivation for it is not satire of the upper class. Their right. motivation for it is, we used to be upper class. Right. We, and it, we have fallen there, off, and a, we probably still have more money than God, to be, right. to be perfectly honest. They still, right. even sure. if they don't own half the beach anymore, they still own most, most right. of they that property. They still own a lot. Yeah, and then... And my issue is is that that one one can simultaneously think that the that the upper class should be overthrown and destroyed, and also still have empathy for people who clearly don't right. are not aware of the way in which they're actually viewed by the people who are viewed. Like watching people, I mean, we get into the heart of what, like for example, re- like bad reality TV is with this, right? Right. The idea that we're not we're not delighting in people being people as much as we're delighting in people being horrible or people being like 
not understanding that what they are is funny to other people, right? Like you're laughing at people rather than laughing with people, which is problematic as a, as a behavior pattern for human beings, right? That you shouldn't right. ever be doing that. And if you are, you've gone down a dark path. Right. And that's the problem, right? Like that, like whether or not that's what the intention of our directors is, that's certainly the result they got. And if they did this in 2006, by then they knew what they were getting. Yeah, that's the thing about Albert recutting unused footage for a 2006 release is that basically he saw that it was a cultural touchstone in his whatever way it was, whether New York local or or not. You know, there was also uh, Rufus Rainwhite did a song in 2001 uh, that's, that talks about Grey Gardens and, and the documentary. Um, so, you know, it, it had existed as this cult thing. So Maisel's Albert trying to sort of recash in on that is weird. Like there's a reason right. that this footage wasn't used for the first one, right? Right. And for it, sure. And that reason is that he was I think they were actually they actually were sympathetic. Yeah, I think to they the were Beals in the first one they were the concerned with their humanity, I think. They were concerned yes. with their humanity. In this one uh, well, in this one, everyone's dead already, right? Little Edith died in 2002. Right, but like you can still so, be concerned with the humanity of people who are dead, right? Well, I think, like, I think he's... No, no, I think... I agree that you should be. I don't know that Albert necessarily was as overtly. I think yeah. I think he... If, if Little Edith had been alive in 2006, I don't think Albert would have released this. Right. At I least not the say. way it... It, it is. Now, obviously, even in the first one, and, and maybe you have trouble remembering that I far do. back, but there were issues in the first one where it's clear that, you know, they bicker, they bicker in the first one as much as they do in the second one, and it all sounds like some sub-Albi dialogue, which is a phrase we also used last week, incidentally. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, but, uh, Albie, you know, wrote uh, "Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf?" is his, his most famous, probably. Right. Uh, so it's, you know, that that bickering, long-suffering couple, uh, right? And and Big and Little Edie are that. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> they need each other as much as they need to fight each other. Uh, is an accurate representation of their relationship, but this cut. You know, there are points in this cut that I think it's much more overt, and maybe I'm just seeing it with different eyes than I watched the original Grey Gardens with. And the last time I watched the original Grey Gardens was when we did the episode, so it's been a while. Right. But with this cut, it seems much more intent on showing us how resentful of Jackie little Edith is. Yeah. And how how bitter she is about her circumstances. Um, which I think, which aren't just Jackie, you know, and we talk a little more about why maybe they should be bitter about their circumstances and, and how, uh, the position of being Bouvier's, uh, kept them from being performers in the way that they maybe should have been. Um, and we get, we get a lot more, I feel like we get a lot more bitterness out of Little Edie in this one. You know, also about that private property conversation and right. the way yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah, 
the way she talks about uh, Jerry in this one, but that that also occurs in the first one because in the first one, you know, she's she's obsessed with this idea that Jerry wants to marry her or something, and that it's, he's just a gold digger. Um, but but with this one too, there's the complaints about Jerry. There's the complaints about uh, the woman who comes to to visit her, visit them. Uh, the artist friend whose name I can't remember right no, now. I can't remember. I think it's like Leslie, maybe. I, uh, I Lois. Know. Lois. Lois, okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. She, uh, I mean, she also showed up in the in the first one very briefly, but we, we focus quite a bit more on her uh, here coming in. We show her artwork, and then we cut to Edith, Little Edie talking in very hushed tones outside, presumably while Lois is inside talking to her mother. For sure. <clears throat> uh, just, you know, tearing into her in a lot of ways. And again, it's that same sort of bitterness about artistic freedom, I think. And the fact that, that Lois is able to produce this art and, and get get recognition for this art. Um, but, uh, it's just, it feels, it yeah, also feels, feels, it's also weird. The, the fire scene actually existing in this one, you know, in the first one, we see the result of the fire, that right. wall being destroyed and the raccoons coming down from the attic. Uh, and it's, it's this view of, you know, they cut it like that so that it suggests this whole place is falling apart in a much more overt way. But the fire, I don't know if we get any story on what caused the fire, but considering how much of the Maisel's equipment is sitting in that corner already, uh, it seems oh, probably they do. They like talk it about was... It's a co- they claim it's a copper pipe that was like heating up something nearby or something like that. I don't know. She mentions it. Does she mention it? Okay. Yeah, she talks um, about it, but like... Well, as you know, the dialogue in this, just because of the nature of the way it's done, is is sometimes extremely hard to follow, right? Like, I mean, the scenes are chopped up, which makes it hard to follow because there's no through line. And then you combine it with the fact that, like, not amazing sound recording combined with pretty heavy accents. It's but what I'm was sitting sure on top of that copper it. pipe? A strip of magnesium? Like how no, how I, hot? They said like a pillow, like cushions or something. I don't know. It could also just be bullshit. I don't know. I mean, because unless it, it was unless it was an oil soaked rag that would have caught fire itself. Um, something something it could have been, it could have been. A, a copper pipe does not get that hot. Even yeah, a very hot it's, copper yeah. pot pipe does not get hot enough to set something on fire that is not itself a fuel that shouldn't be where it is. Um, right. I, I I'm not suggesting that it was an electrical fire from the Maisel's equipment, but maybe it was. Uh, but. It's possible. But also, that that action sequence, in as much as it is an action sequence, of uh, you know, little Edie jumps in, and she's getting getting the buckets of water, and she's throwing them on the fire, and the Mazers are trying to do that, except that uh, whichever one's on screen is helping with the fire, and also calling over her shoulder and says, "You're rolling, right? You're you've got that camera on, right?" Yeah, I mean, yeah. and that's and. and- to me, that you're right, and that that is such an encapsulation of my problem with Grey Gardens and this, 
Right. Is the reality of the matter is that like we we just recently watched God's Country. Okay. Right. And and, and it is it is a different thing. It is an interview documentary, but this is right. also an interview documentary. It is a very different kind. And and it is it is interesting to contrast the difference between trying to encapsulate some piece of information and deliver it to your audience and trying to essentially like that kind of thing plays into my uh, my the understanding I have grown of this which is hey look at these people which I do not ever like right, right. I do not I don't like I don't ever want I don't like consuming media that is based around the idea of let's snicker at these people right um and I don't even and I feel like that's kind of that though, right? Like you're rolling right feels like it's saying even if it's not stickering at these people, it's like we are not so much interested in Veritas as we are in sensational, like right. something that's right. going to be exciting to be in our movie about these people. And that is, you know, something we we talked about. I'm sure with the first one um, is you know this idea that the Mazels are exploiting the Beals. And the Beals are exploiting the Maisels, and they're feeding on each other to a certain extent. But and, and the question of who actually has the power here, and I think the Maisels have more power here. They do. Uh, they, they legitimately do. Because the problem is, is that the Maisels, however much they are not of the same class, are aware of how this... They are operating from the outside. They are aware of what this will look like. They are also, I think, deep down inside, to a certain extent, sniggering. Yeah. And n- knowing that walking into there changes the dynamic. The Beals clearly do not know. They do not. They, they just don't know. Uh, and, and, like, they are, I mean, Little Edie is clearly also suffering, like, legitimately. Like, she needs help. And, like... The solution to like people needing help is not to just point a camera at them, right? Like you know what I mean. Like the solution to like you're not making the world a better place by pointing your camera at a person who is is clearly suffering, right? And 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 instead of trying to relieve that pain or that problem, you point a camera at them. And yeah, she may have asked you. I mean, you know what I mean. Like there there's that dynamic, right? Where like, well, we were invited. Like we were told that it's good that they want to be filmed. Like. Yeah, but like that that doesn't really actually change anything, right? Like permission and, is not the same thing as it suddenly becoming good. Yeah. There's a fine line to tread there too because the Mesos shooting a movie about them is the sort of help that little Edie at least wants, right? Well, and th- th- that's and, the type of help that little Edie wants. Right. It's not like, the type not, that she needs obviously, right. but it's it is it is if you asked her what what she desires, that would be what she well, says yes and, and no. what would okay, fix but, the problem. But, but also, let's keep in mind, though, that it is and it isn't, right? Because she most definitely does not conceive of... She wants a camera pointed at her, but she doesn't want it to be a documentary of her wandering around and like having to deal with raccoons. Right. That's not what she wants. Like, we're we kind of getting into some weird-ass shit here where like it's like... It, it the sort of catch twenty two of like well you invited us into our house into your house yeah. 
so we obviously filmed all your dirty laundry is is some bullshit right like i mean like it it is fundamentally like i didn't invite you into my house to film my dirty laundry i invited you into my house because you told me you would help me show my like you know what i mean like she's clearly a person who's always wanting to express herself creativity or herself sorry express herself creatively and has been stifled in that throughout her whole life that's that's not what they gave her here like her singing on a documentary where she, they're also going to shoot her, their crumbling house and the raccoon family like that's not what she wanted yeah that's not so, what she was actually consenting to like so here's spirit the thing. versus like word right like i mean here's the thing spirit. that i i definitely think complicates this and this is this is not something i remember reading about before uh Lee Reds- Radziwell, who is uh, Little Edith's cousin, mm-hmm. hired the Maisels in 72, three years before <coughs> the original Grey Gardens, okay. to work on a film about the Bouvier family. Okay. So, so he hired a van- the Maisels to make a vanity documentary about his rich old money family. Right. Okay. Uh, so starting filming that they went and visit, visited the Beals. Okay. But Radziwill kept all of the footage when that project fell apart. Okay. And the Maisels were fascinated to quote Wikipedia. By the strange life the two women led. So raised mm-hmm. raised money on their own and returned to film 70 hours of footage with just big and Right, but that, that doesn't make it better. No, no, no. I'm not suggesting Okay, okay. Well, better. you said complicated. I was like, I feel like you're, su- you're definitely reinforcing what I just said. <laughs> I'm suggesting it, it makes it much, much worse. Yeah. I mean, um, these are people who know that everybody yeah. who sees this is going to judge these women very, yeah. very, very harshly. And I think this will not be kind to them and they know it and they're doing it anyway. I think there is a justification to say, well, they're just making fun of rich people, but I don't One, I'm not entirely convinced that they are actually still rich. Right. Um, There's that. that, That's definitely true. Yeah. Uh, And, and rich, rich people are dumb is the fundamental punch. Right. But they are, they are still satire. The, the, the functioning, the, the functioning, but even rich people, people. <laughs> right? Even rich people who are in a dilapidated house and clearly suffering uh, yeah. deserve uh, deserve sympathy and humanity. Um, well, know, and, and, and like, again, we talked about this. I mentioned this earlier. I I can simultaneously believe that we should we should absolutely destroy the entire foundation of the upper class and the idea of capitalism right. and everything like that. And also believe that those people are still people and deserve right. Right. humanity, like deserve to be treated as human beings. Like, right. I wouldn't want this to be done to me. I don't want this to be done to somebody else. It's, it, I can be blanket in that. Like, I mean, sure. Like if they were war criminals, I would want you to make a documentary documenting their war crimes, please. Right. But I don't also need you to show me the raccoon house. Like I'm cool. I don't need that. Because they're also war criminals. Whereas, like, these yeah, they people might be, are just... They might yeah. be Long Island old money. Uh, halls of power old money. Uh, but uh, 
But literally, big and little eaters don't need the guillotine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, and 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 you know what? If they were if they were still exercising that power and they were being like, okay, we'll make a documentary about that. But again, I don't need to see the raccoon house. It's not a thing I need. I do not need you to humiliate when you could show something meaningful. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I don't it's know. A, it just like feels like just it's like especially since this especially feels like kicking just a, an already very sick dog. It's just right. It has such a dark and twisted feeling to it. Like watching this movie was very uncomfortable. I did not take yeah. pleasure in this experience. Yeah, I uh, think this one's actually even even less pleasurable than the first one. Yeah, I mean, I barely remember the first one, but yeah. like, I don't remember having as dark a thoughts about that one as I did about yeah. this one. This one I watched, and I was like, this this is a form of, I mean, this is this is just inhuman. This is just yeah, inhumane. It just is. It's you're just. I also think it's really really indicative that this was released after Little Edie died. Oh yeah, you're definitely right about that. Oh, like I, I think whether or not it's conscious or not, they're essentially off the hook. Um, I don't have to ever look that person in the eye again, right? Um, and and this one is definitely darker in that way too. It's it's much more. It paints her in a much it it, it paints her in a darker light. Uh, yeah. It it's not it's not even remotely flattering. Um, yeah to her as a person uh yeah it's just i don't know it, i'm i mean i thought maybe we'd spend this episode talking about what is a documentary which i think like we definitely <laughs> talked about last time yeah we and did. it's a worthwhile conversation but this 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 one especially is so far out of the bounds of what i would consider a legitimate documentary that it might not even worth having the conversation really for me because not only does it like intrude, like do the, the the documentarians purposely intrude? They've also clearly, like, well, I mean, they just recut it. They've cut it in such a way as to just be purposely non-flattering. Um, I think, right? Um, which is which is just gross, right? Like that's just a different thing. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it'd be it'd be a different thing. It'd be a whole different thing, you know, like. A DVD extra where, like, well, here's all the footage we never use. Like, it's in no particular order or thought process. Like, here you go. Like, I wouldn't love it, but, like, fine, whatever. Like, here's just a – but this is recut with very specific intentions in mind. You don't edit without right. intention. We've and, made yeah. we've made roughly three hours of material out of 70 hours shot. Both of them are intentional. Absolutely. In but I think are. the difference is, is now in 2006, knowing exactly the way that movie was viewed right. gives us a much darker turn. It's, it's right. oh, we want, we want cult classic number two. We want. It's, it's like what we talked about last week and coming back and making take two and a half. <coughs> uh, you know, after, after <laughs> with, take with one. With Steve Buscemi in it, yeah. Yeah, after take that, one but, is, is such explicitly what it is. To try and remanufacture that for a take two and a half is uh, well, impossible. Yeah, that's definitely true. Although take two and a half is, I mean, are, they're radically different in the sense oh, of, of course, how of aware course, of what of they are. Like the, take two and a half is clearly not a cash grab. No, uh, no, that's all. Take two true. and a half is very clearly like I, I want to do this experiment. The next step of this experiment, 
because I am a mad scientist of movies. Right. Which, so is, I wanna, which is a whole different thing. Right, 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 right. I want to I wanna talk about the Criterion essay with this for a second. Uh, just the opening paragraph, mostly. Uh, it's written by Michael Musto, uh, who okay. is... Uh, he has a long-running column uh, in Village Voice called the the Dolce Musto, uh, and uh, he starts it off. The Beals are back, and their squalor is making lives brighter all over again. Oh I've God, always I'm worshipped the gals and their strangely powerful fashion choices and nutty but often spot-on philosophies. Having fallen off the society pages and into total disarray, coexisting with raccoons, cats, and uninvited ghosts in their rundown East Hampton mansion, Edith and Little Edie instantly became my favorite cautionary tale, one that chilled my spine yet still seemed so dangerously inviting as a walk through pre-Rudolph Giuliani Times Square. He goes on and gets a little more self-aware in this. Uh, of course, this Well, reality... yeah, but I would, I'd be hard-pressed to figure out how he could not get more right, self-aware. Right, cause, right, like, right. Right. If you start course, at zero, yeah, got a lot of places to go. Even the end, the end of the paragraph, really. Of course, this reality show was actually real, making it even more riveting, especially for peeping toms like me who could convince themselves it was a trenchant learning experience about the wicked whims of high society. <clears throat> I understand that reading of this. I do. I don't think it's an accurate reading of this because this is the the Beals are not high society getting their comeuppance. No, the Beals were victims of high society. Yeah, and they're victims of high society. I mean, of course they are. Like it's a it's a classic case, right? Like I mean, the machine grinds the cogs that are in it, right? Like right. It, it just does, right? It, 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 and and they are. And and as far as cautionary tale goes, I mean in the most oblique and abstract sense that like everybody is a cautionary tale for like human society. Like, uh, I mean like what you think you're going to become a part of the high society and then also learn from this to not like, not, I don't know, like what cautionary tales require you to be able to learn a thing that you can implement in the world. Right? Like, well now I know if I ever accidentally become a member of the high society that I should not in fact, be a member of the high society? Question mark. Because I'll I, I don't I don't know what you could conceivably what message you could get out of it. Honestly, right. It's not it's that 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 argument falls apart in the fact that it like is not as a non functioning argument. Right. Really. Right. I think I feel like the Mazel's point in producing the first one was look at these kooky people. Yeah, and maybe and maybe they meant they meant it in a very blasé way, kooky like yeah, they're silly people, and they're fascinating in their life. Not necessarily make fun of these kooky people, but just look at these kooky people. <clears throat> and there's there's something about day in the life documentaries that that you know that that could be in existence. And and salesman was the same way. Look at these. Well, and, I people. mean, and I don't dislike day in the life documentaries because yeah. I mean, I, I like, I, I mean, we've talked about my love of reality television, especially as it applies to like people doing their jobs. Well, like right. I have a, a right. weird obsession with watching people do a good job at things, even when they fail in those things where I'm, I'm set up with the idea that like, these are people who are good at this thing. And yeah, maybe sometimes they'll make mistakes, but they are fundamentally good at this thing that they're going to do. 
and I enjoy that. And that and that for, sort of me for me sort of fits into a genre of day in the life. Like I'm just gonna watch people do a thing, and there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is, is that that's not like I mean that requires you to find a subject who's gonna do a thing, right? That's not. You generally shouldn't be trying to make a day in the life documentary about a person who, you know, like is, you know, having a really horrible time, right? Like, I mean, unless your goal is to teach people that there are people who are having a really hard time and that we should take care of them. That's a whole right. other thing, right? Like, that's a whole other animal, right? Like, that's just not, they're not trying to make me think I should go out and rest, like, form some sort of, like, fund to help take care of society elites who have had a really rough go of it and, and need some like some some care like that's not the goal here i don't think right I mean, right like, yeah. but the goal of episode two the bills of gray gardens has to be different from whatever the goal of the first one was right? oh for sure yes absolutely no, I think we t- we I think honestly we've gotten I think we got to the point on that pretty quickly, which is right. hey, we accidentally made a cult classic. People like to watch this because these people are like different enough from them that they can just point and laugh. They don't have right. to engage with them because they don't see any of themselves in them. They can they can treat them as other because they are so different. Right. That like you just you don't have to engage with them in a way that you would an, a nor with a, engage with them the way you would a person that you could know, right? It's like just, you, you will never know this person. You right. will never meet this person. You will never be this person. You can just treat them as other. And, I don't, and I and then you get to episode two, which is like, well, boy, that was really popular. It's like <laughs> uh, it's like a. Uh, a a booking photo magazine or cops or, you know, news articles about, uh, you, know, you saw them in Ohio a lot, news articles about parents who uh, passed out uh, from a drug overdose with their kids in the back of the car. It's like we're meant to see these things as making fun of someone who literally at the lowest point of their lives and they have no power. Well, but, but- Big and Little Edie have no power, and that's the problem here, right? Right. There, it is definitely a power thing. And, and also, but like... I'm not interested in making right. fun you're, of people with no power. And it does me no good to make fun of people with no power. But again, So I can't, I, I, I can't yeah. be entertained by this. I agree. I agree. When I, but my argument goes beyond that, which is I have a hard time being, to enjoying a thing that fundamentally makes fun of actual people no matter what their power is. Like, I don't know, like, I guess there is an echelon of power structure, which I no longer have a problem with it. If your power level is such that you literally make the rules for other people, then yeah, I guess and I'm the, okay and that's a, in front of a real person. The flip, side, the flip side of that is eventually you get enough power where making fun of the person does no good. You need to right. just actively be fighting the person, right? That, that's also definitely, I don't, I don't know, care. I you can do I don't both care that Donald time. Trump says dumb shit. Yeah, that's true. I think, I, I argue that you can do both at the same time. Like oh, the, yeah, these, yeah. these are complementary functions, and 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 within a society that is struggling with the rise of fascism, like making fun of the leader of fascism does help. It does to a certain extent depower them in 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 the realm of at least within the realm of your allies. It makes them less threatening. 
Right. And and not less threatening to the point where you shouldn't fight them, but less threatening in the point you're not afraid to fight them anymore. Like, you know what I mean? Like, jokes about how dumb Nazis were existed during World War II. Oh, and they, oh absolutely. People believe that you could go <laughs> kill Nazis. pre-World War II, man. Well, I know, but, you know, I mean, but well, we also spent <laughs> yeah. a lot of time having a lot of Nazis in town. Um, so, you know, what I mean is, like, circa exactly World War II, yeah. making, your, making the person who is very, very threatening to you a little less threatening so that you're not worried, so that you can muster up the courage to go fight them is a valuable function of comedy in, in, a, in a fascist state. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, he's also an idiot. And, and honestly is oftentimes true right i mean it's definitely believing certain things are a function of not being you're not thinking clearly right you're not being smart right if you if you believe the things that get said then you are also not the smartest person i've ever met right like it just right. you aren't right if you believe that immigrants should go back to their home countries or that you know that that's that's a function of not being very bright in my mind yeah uh and I think it's okay. Like I mean, but you know, we get into this really weird line of what where is it okay to and I agree it's about power, but like you have to get very high up in the echelons of power before I think it's okay to um where like making fun of a person in these sort of more fundamental ways is is okay. Like making fun of a person's policies absolutely. Yeah. Go to town. Making fun of like again their raccoon house i'm less comfortable with in general yeah because then you're getting into something that is like more core to who i don't know it's very hard for me to articulate it but like it's like i don't want to make fun of people who are suffering from mental illness generally speaking right uh, in my life and if I find out even the worst person on earth is suffering from mental illness, I'd prefer not to make fun of that thing about them. Right, right. Like, I can go ahead and make fun of the fact that they are a fascist. Thank you very much. I don't need to make fun of the fact that they are suffering from a mental illness. It's not a thing I need. I do not need to make fun of the fact that a person is suffering from dementia. Or these are right. just things I don't need. Um now, if, say, a certain president were suffering from dementia, I think that would just be a better reason to get him out of office. Well, that's what—that's exactly where I was going with that. Is like, or an okay. added reason to get him out yeah, of like, office. Yeah, it's like, okay, uh, this person is clearly unfit to do the thing that they're doing that is making, it's making them dangerous. I don't need to make right. fun of their dementia because there's lots of people who are, even if they're the worst person on earth, I'm also wrapping up every other person who suffers from dementia in that pool. Right, right. I'm not making fun of a person with dementia. I'm making fun of every person with dementia. I'm not making fun of a person with depression. I'm making fun of all people with depression. And I'm not, I'm not comfortable with that. And I don't, I do not know what's, I do not, I, I will never know exactly what little Edie is suffering from. I, and we're never going to know. Right. But clearly she is suffering from something. Something is really eating away at little Edie in a real meaningful way. Um, and whatever that is, we're, if we make fun of her, we're making fun of everybody who is having, who's in a similar situation. They're all in the same boat. And clearly also little Edie is as far, basically as far down the echelons of power as you could possibly be. Right. Little Edie is in no way different from any of us in terms of her, of her, of her power. Other than the fact that 
she owns a bunch of stuff and probably is pretty unaware, apparently, of what she owns and what she doesn't own at this point. Right, right. Honestly speaking. And is concerned about the county taking more beach. Yeah, I, I mean, to be fair, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the county took the beach because she had to sell it to the county because she wasn't able to pay her bills. Or somebody right. did at some point. Right. Um, and she, when they're walking to the beach, she says, you know, we used to own this and then someone else built a house on it. Right. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, there's, we're definitely so, missing so some steps was, there. That was, a, that was a sale years and years ago, right? That's, you know, you're talking about these people in the past tense, too. So, like. You probably didn't own it. Maybe your mom owned it. Probably your dad owned it. Yeah, somebody sold told it in you like a story about you owning that. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's idiosyncratically they are interesting people, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but yes, I just don't. One, I don't think we're getting a truly realistic portrayal of who they are. No, I don't think so either. Period. I mean, we we've talked that we definitely talked about this last time. The Maisels definitely do stuff to get them riled up, to right. like get them to a point. Like right. the Maisels did not just walk in, point their fucking camera, like set it up in the corner, and be like, and then all this stuff just happened. Right. We had. You know, they're actively with interacting them. with them, yeah. and they're not and, actively and, interacting them. In, you know, again, the Maisels have the power in this situation, right? Right. There's a power and differential, also, and the Maisels are, yeah. are getting something out of this, and they're getting much more out of this than the satisfaction that the Beals might be getting out of this. Now, I assume maybe they made some money off this, too, if it really became maybe. popular, but but I don't actually know that. And, you know, maybe they don't need the money, too, right? They still have—, they still have they're still Bouviers, right? Uh, so I don't know— there's probably some cousin who's paying their bills by this point, probably, really. Probably, yeah. But maybe also they just have, you know, they're I mean, living it, off. I mean, wealth re like perpetuates right. itself. I mean, wealth perpetuates they may much just easier. Not have a problem with money, right? Like, not right. really. Like maybe some previous relative probably sold off some of the property, and that that may have generated enough income that they literally just do not have to worry about it. Right. Honestly, it's definitely within the realm of possibility. Um, right. But you know that, you know that is you know that is. The Maisels have the power because the Maisels have the power of nothing else because they own the editing room. Right. They decide what it looks like. You notice that we hear the Maisels talk, but we don't hear the Maisels talk clearly as much as the Maisels talked. Right. You know what in I this, mean? Like, in this one, we get a little more of that and the principal interaction that we see the two of the Maisel brothers having is, hey, you're recording this fire, right? Yeah, well, exactly, which is gross enough on its own, right? Like, Hey, this junk house caught on fire. Yeah. Let's make sure we recorded it while these people panic. Like, I mean, I don't know. Like, even, even if they left the camera rolling and set it down, they would right. have been yeah, in an exactly. infinitely the, better position. Better people, yeah. Yeah. Like, one of us is going to keep recording this because we need to watch the junk house burn is a, is a right. dark, dark place to be right. in this world. Um, yeah. In in our movie about how weird the drunk the the people who own the junk house are, we need to make sure we have a video, real good video of the junk house burning down. Like that's right. a thing we need. Because you know what, 
Like the darker, even darker thing is like they kind of probably were hoping it would turn into like a big fire, right? Because like that makes really good movie, right? Like, and then the whole place burned down. What a fucking end of my movie. Yeah. Also, the (laughs) it'd be like the end of Rebecca, right? (laughs) No, just finally get rid of all these old ghosts. Um, but uh, but also the the results of the fire that we see in the first movie. Uh, suggests that it was bigger than what we saw in this one, right? Yeah, because like that I, whole I'm corner's really gone. About that, yeah. I think. I think. Well, this one was not super well shot, so like, who knows actually yeah. how badly it burned before? Because like the the fire department did come and did do stuff. Yeah. Now so. there's there's an interview with with Albert uh, that's also on the Criterion DVD it. for yeah, this that one. eight minute interview. Yeah. yeah. And and the only thing interesting from that that might that might play into our conversation right now is uh, he mentions that the uh, the cameras were about twenty pounds and that they just showed up with hundreds of uh, pre wound ready cartridges and the cartridges had about ten minutes of film apiece. Right. So I'm not convinced that the filming of that fire stopped because they thought the fire was out or because. Uh, he put the camera down to help with the fire. I think maybe he just ran out of tape and decided it was it's a better possible. idea. I mean, yeah, because like, we cut we cut to someone outside filming, and they have more than one camera person, right? It's not just yeah the Maisels with cameras. You know, they've got other people involved here. Um, so I don't know. It just yeah, I mean, but like it doesn't really change the spirit of you're definitely recording this, right? Like, I mean, in the end, that right. spirit right. is that spirit, right? Like, right. you don't ask that question because that, that you're yeah. not asking that question because the next sentence is going to be, "Hey, put that fucking camera down and come over here and help," right? Like, it's just that's not the question you ask if that's what you want to say, you know? Yeah. Um, now we so do I get we do get Edie herself talking about her schizophrenia. Uh, denying schizophrenia because right. she says that a newspaper said that she was schizophrenic. Um, it's, yeah, 1975. Like, I guess 1975. There's a schizophrenia as catch-all diagnosis is right, 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 right. Got a fun history, right? Uh, especially, I'm definitely especially, fun is definitely in fucking air quotes. Especially on that aimed at women. Also, in this one, she does reveal that she wasn't invited to uh, JFK and Jackie's wedding. Uh, which is uh, kind of a low blow, considering they're co- first cousins. But uh, yeah, so even what was that? Fifty, fifty-three. Yeah, they got married in fifty-three. Uh, I think there's probably a pretty good chance that even by fifty-three, the rest of the family just thought they were eccentric weirdos, right? And they oh, probably yeah. I mean, already locked themselves I, it out. It probably got pretty obvious pretty fast, right? Like, I mean, they, they they are definitely within that family, the ones you just sort of try to make, you, you pay for their bills and you just try to keep them out of yeah. the way, right? Like, like, try to make sure they don't do anything that's going to, like, make, make the family look bad. Right. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that's more than likely everyone's major concern is whether or not the uh, the family's going to look bad. Right, which um, we get back into the fact that, like, you know, the machine grinds its own cogs, right? Like, right. I mean, they they are in this society, but also they suffer because of it, right? Like, I mean, they don't match the society what, the, what their family wants them to be, so 
mostly the goal is to worry about the family rather than their actual health, right? Like, if they ever did get help because their family tried to help them, it would just be because they were embarrassing the family. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't be because of legitimate, like, oh, my God, I think I think our cousin needs help. Like, I'm, we're very, very concerned about this person. It is. It would be because if we don't get them some help, it's going to look bad, um, which so, is a dark place to be. Here's an interesting thing. Little Edie's got two brothers. Yeah, she mentions it, right? Like, she yeah. mentions her brother a lot. Yeah. In this. I don't remember the brother being mentioned, like, at all in the original, honestly. I don't remember, like, I don't remember extended time. family being talked about. Time. You know, they talk about the dad a little more in here, too. And uh, and they divorced in 31, uh, Big Edie and, and their dad. Um, which means, well, everyone was fairly young. Uh, little Edie's the oldest and was born in 1917. So, you know, 14 years old when, when the divorce takes place. Um, but Big Edie's the Bouvier, right? So, you know, she's, she's the old money more than anything. Um, but yeah, I just... We've seen so much more compelling documentaries... Well, exactly. Movie. I mean, like you and I. I mean, I, I can't I just... help. I can't help but like, for example, compare this to God's Country, right? Because in my in my heart, God's Country features some people who are it features some really interesting, cool people who are really fun to talk to, and some people who are very, very scary. Yeah, but never frames them as does not never does this to them. You know what I mean? Like, and it's a very different thing. I know it's a totally different animal, but it just, to me, like, it's like night and day. Like, they're both fit into the category of documentary, right? Right. I think it's, I think it also is maybe telling that the episode of Documentary Now, the first episode, is probably the worst episode because of how it deals with the Beals. Uh, The ending of that episode. Because this, you know, these documentaries don't really have any ending, uh, but uh, but the producers of documentary now decide to give it an ending, and it's a reveal that uh, Big and Little Edith have a cannibal basement. Uh, okay, and uh, they attack the filmmakers in the final moments of the film of the episode, uh, and I think it's just. I think it's indicative of, of what kind of documentary this is that documentary now decided to go ultra violent in the ending uh, because it's not a joke that necessarily makes sense, but it's also not even, it's not made funnier by the fact that it doesn't make sense. Right. Um, right. I, I mean, I so, the only way I can see it working cause I've never seen it, but like I could I, see you, somebody making the argument that like, well, legitimately the filmmakers deserve it <laughs> when it's all said and <laughs> right, done. These right. assholes deserve to get eaten. Cause like, right. I wish you're I wish not, that were not more, being good more overt in it because I think that's accurate. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's ultimately what it boils down to. I Grey Gardens existing the way Grey Gardens exists, and particularly the Beals of Grey Gardens being released after Little Edie's death, and in 2006 on the brink of a heyday of Grey Gardens related material for whatever reason. Yeah, and New York's weird, sure. But I just feel I don't like the Maisels because of this. 
Yeah, no, I'm, is, I'm totally I'm on board. They are revelations I think, of character I, I enjoyed, flaws for them. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed, um, what was it, Salesman? Uh, yeah. But it, it's do, also doing a radically different thing than this right. is. Like, that is legitimately trying, I think, to be a documentary. Like, an honest-to-God I mean, it, it's a little wild, but, like, I mean, in the end, I think they're like, wow, look at the world that's full of people doing really interesting things that are right. worth it's worth knowing the, the interesting things that people are doing. This is not that. Yeah. And this reveals such intense flaws in their thinking that it makes me really, un, you know, retroactively even more uncomfortable about the whole thing uh, than I was. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, it's, it's as uncomfortable as I was just in the moments of Give Me Shelter when they spent so much time trying to absolve yeah. the Rolling Stones yeah. of what happened. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely true. It's, you know, so they just, they do have a history of bad decisions, maybe. So. Yeah, they do. And I, and I think, and that makes, to me, that makes, um, yeah, is, is it called Salesman? Is that what its name is? I keep mm-hmm. blanking on it. Is that the real name? Yeah, it's just called I Salesman. Like, I, keep feeling like, I keep feeling like there should be more words. Right. Um, which means, to me, Salesman operates more as the exception rather than the rule. Right. For right. what they make. Um, yeah. Honestly. Like, yeah. This, there's multiple things that show that what's more, that their priorities are not not necessarily good for me uh, when it comes to like what they're recording and the way they're recording things and what they're choosing to 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 leave on the editing room floor and what they're choosing not to right um, yeah well uh, some good news we'll never have to see anything from them ever again that's probably so. a good thing I mean I, <laughs> I honestly I don't it's weird enough that we ended up watching this fucking three years later right, right. Uh, that the way this was set up was such that like oh and here we're going to watch this thing three years later is, was weird enough. Right. Usually with a documentary, when we watch it here, we end up talking about the nature of documentary. And maybe we just got that all over our system last week. But uh, but here, it well, really just, I think it reflects I, poorly me, on the makers, I, right? Yeah. And then and then honestly speaking, I, I, I really believe that a part of that is that this is so far down the rabbit hole that I don't even honestly mentally count this as a documentary anymore. Right. Like, yeah, that's the, that's the fucking tag on the, uh, that's the category it would be put in the, in the library or whatever. Right. But I'll be damned if this isn't, if this is a documentary, <laughs> because then, then that word just literally means nothing. The word well, just maybe has it, no meaning. Maybe that's true. Maybe it does. Well, I mean, that's definitely, that nothing. is also definitely true. Given the nature of language, that is also definitely true. I'm just saying that like, I, I get to choose my own categories, and this isn't a, this isn't a documentary. Right, right. Tough shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> people might put that label on it, but it's not anymore. Sorry. That's fair. Uh, so, yeah, this week we've been talking about The Beals of Grey Gardens, released in 2006. Uh, yeah, the sequel to the original Grey Gardens. And Made, released many, many, many years later. Yeah, and it's not, not a take two and a half in any way. Right, right. It is just recutting unused footage from the first one to make these poor <sighs> women seem even worse. Right, essentially. Right. Uh, hey, I know what I can do. I can, I can, I can make fun of some dead people because right. I'm a good person. Oh, 
We will uh, we will jump back into narrative film next week with Border Radio, uh, directed by Allison Anders, Dean Lent, and Kurt Voss from 1987. Uh, so we look forward to that. Thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, Liam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oritari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Haight does the music. Check him out at JonathanHaight.bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, or support us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. We'd appreciate it.